what do you think the number one career aspiration is for kids today? If you answered that question 10 years ago, it might have been veterinarian, astronaut, or actor. But today, one in five kids want to become a social media influencer when they grow up. And it's true, it's a viable career choice in our world today. An online influencer can really shift culture and the way that the next generation thinks about so many things, including beauty, self-esteem, and identity. But we have to remember that people who create content online also consume content online. And they're impacted by the same external pressures that many of us face, from trolls to unsolicited comments about our appearance to toxic beauty advice masquerading as the latest trend. I'm Jess Weiner, and on today's episode of Let's Change Beauty, I'm speaking with content creator and body positivity advocate Kelly Uchima about how sharing her personal experience with mental health and recovering from an eating disorder actually helped her to create a community of positivity and honesty online. Together, we're going to be talking about what and who influences the influencer and how Kelly is choosing to reclaim her feed to combat racial stereotypes and help her followers feel good online and off. Let's dig in. So I want to start with Little Kelly. If we can go back in that way, way back machine. Um, what did Little Kelly think about what was beautiful? What would be her definition of beauty back then? I was the type of kid who was obsessed with TV. Mm. Like I grew up in Chinatown in Chicago. I went to all Chinese school just down the street. So we didn't have much money. We had nothing going on. We didn't do extracurricular activities. Like I didn't mm -hmm. grow up feeling like I had normal fun outlets to do. So I watched a lot of mm. movies and everyone who was on those shows was so cute, so pretty, so skinny and had either blonde hair or maybe brown hair. Mm -hmm. I definitely looked at a lot of stick figure type of people and then would mm. look at myself and think, well, there's definitely a difference here. But the interesting thing about where I grew up is I'm half Chinese and half Japanese. And yes, I went to school with all Asian kids, but they're all Chinese. Mm. And my dad is Japanese. And so I was like, where do I fit in? Where do I go? Yeah. Where do I find people that really know how I feel? And that really was never a thing. So mm -hmm. I would compare myself all the time and it became something I was obsessed with, aka turning into an eating disorder and really taking over my life mm -hmm. really until I was past college. Wow. So those moments you're mentioning of like eight, nine and 10 was exactly what formed my identity in yes. a really sad way. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you and I are generations apart, but I had the very same experience growing up watching TV. I was pre-internet, so that was my only outlet was like four networks. I had to watch all the commercials. You had no choice to fast forward. <laughs> oh, and God. I loved everything. I watched everything, but I also grew up 80s oh. and everybody was blonde. It was super like Miami Vice days. And I grew up in Miami. So I was obsessed with blonde, like very thin, tiny waist, big boobs, like everything that I wasn't and surrounded by girls who that was sort of the norm. And so you're right. It, it sort of, it plants a seed, I think at a young age about what's beautiful. But I'm curious, in addition to what you were watching, and I know you talked about feeling like you were maybe straddling some different worlds, what were the messages about beauty that you were getting from the people around you or even within your family? Well, my mom used to do beauty pageants. So that definitely was the temperature of the house. She was very self-conscious. And I have an older sister, just a year and a half older. She never wanted us to feel insecure about our weight, our hair, our faces, our bodies. But I saw her 
still to this day, she will mention X amount of pounds. I should be down or I look like this today. Or It's really so it was contagious. The predominant language. Correct. And watching my mom, who I found to be just so beautiful mm -hmm. and warm and sweet and wonderful. She never had one kind thing to say about herself. And I think she really saw me starting to take that on. But she can't really control that. It was something that mm -hmm. she was taught. Yep. Too. Yep. She grew up in. She was born in the fifties. So there's no such oh, yeah. thing as self love. What What is that? Right. I've never heard of it. Some of that framework came a little later, right in the in the revolution, and definitely as we start to talk about critical thinking and being able to unpack those ideas. But you're right. Sort of generationally, our parents passed down those sort of ideals. I don't know much about you before knowing you as a content creator, but as a storyteller, did you always want to tell stories, or was there a career path you were set on? before landing on this one as a content creator. Well, when we had just sat here and talked, I was like, Jess, I love your voice. You must have performed. And that's when I realized when, oh, this is why we kind of connect. My dream as a kid was to be a, the most famous singer. I wanted to be mm. Christina Aguilera. So I've sung my whole life. My parents are actually singers, performers, actors. Wow. They had to get real jobs to obviously help us sustain, you know, not totally falling apart. <laughs> but um, I always performed and sang as a kid. I mean, there's so many home videos of me just jumping up and down on this little trampoline we had with a plastic microphone and you could not get me to stop. And I wanted to be taped. Wow. I wanted to be filmed. I wanted my parents to watch me. And my parents were amazing mm. about it because they were formers too. They'd be like, okay, welcome Kelly Uchima to the stage. So yeah. But you know what's funny? <laughs> I kind of have a theory about us as performing kids too, because there's a focus then on external validation all the time right? You're really geared to breaking that fourth wall, even before we even talk about the impact of social media, which is all about breaking that yeah. fourth wall. But I think those of us, I mean, not that it's always a bad thing, but I know for me, it put the emphasis of approval on outside, you know, people like looking in. Did you find that to be the same? I was a validation addict, whether mm. it was because I got compliments for my singing, whether it was boys and dating and getting yeah. into really toxic relationships, whether it was making my parents happy and being very self-conscious about trying to make friends. And I even struggled to make relationships with other kids because mm. I wanted to make them like me versus me connecting with any of them. Yeah. Yep. So social media was actually a perfect way to do that is how do I make all these people like me? And in return, they actually think we're connected. And in return, I actually falsely feel like we are very connected. That's interesting. Let's talk about social media for a second, because um, it is the number one aspiration career rise for young people today. It's a legit job. And we know it is. Yeah. People make a living doing that, yourself included. But when did you know that you could become a full-time content creator? Well, I right now is... When is it? It's May 2022. <laughs> I only left my full-time job in academic research at the University of Illinois in January 2021. Wow. So I've been doing social media just in a way for myself and to okay. build. I think I was really craving connection and community because mm -hmm. I just really did not develop those skills as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. And social media kind of felt like a very difficult, easy way to do it. Like I clearly had I clearly had to take photos and create videos and make people feel like they could relate to me by sharing really intense vulnerable eating disorder struggles I'm binge eating guys like I'm struggling I'm going to therapy I'm in a toxic relationship I would pour all mm. of my heart out and not in a manipulative way but I realize now because I was so lacking in my real life I wanted to to share to help others maybe see things in their lives they might not be recognizing because I was learning so much about my own journey. I felt like, great to share. 
But I also n- know now, oh, I was really hungry for yeah. love that I wasn't getting anywhere. And there's a danger for oversharing as a content maker on social because you get rewarded by that. You know, more eyeballs come, the more vulnerable that you are. But I think when you're somebody going through an addiction recovery and your sh- or mental health crisis and you share that publicly – Um, there's also a double side to that, right? Because there isn't often a space in which you can retreat and say, like, look, I'm not doing well today, or I can't be your guru and feel like I get this right because I'm in the middle of learning. Right. And even um, filling out this little form that you all had shared with me, what Mm -hmm. is your title? I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I used to be an eating disorder recovery therapy content creator. And I really that was what I pigeonholed myself as. And I started to realize I felt so exhausted and ripped open by my own doing Mm. by sharing so much. And I realized that I am more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of content creators are starting to realize there are boundaries that are necessary. And also what is our relationship with ourselves really like if we're not pouring all the time? And one of the things you and I've been kind of focused on a a lot lately has been the impact of negative beauty advice online, because, you know, we're talking talking about you as an eating disorder survivor, talking about a serious mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And I think this gets very conflated with online content because we talk about dieting and thinness and beauty hacks that we know when it hits young girls and they don't have the filter or the critical thinking skills to understand what they're absorbing. It's, It's deeply negative or it can be deeply negative. I'm curious for you though, as somebody who then is both creating and recovering at the same time, has there been an impact for you from toxic beauty advice that you see online personally? The scariest thing that I realize when you're asking that is how it's not really detectable mm-hmm. at this point because it's everywhere. Yeah. And even our eyes and our subconscious are so connected to if this person looks pretty and what they're saying is something I value, we're not consciously checking and noticing. We might be absorbing. I think she looks really good. Yep. I want to do that kind of hair. Look at her makeup. I wonder how her body looks this way. Our subconscious is running very quickly and we might not be able to catch any of that. Yeah. That I think is even more dangerous than someone saying, hey, look what I did to change my body. It's so much deeper and in the fabric of everything that we see. And I'm very much influenced by it just because my job is being in my phone and watching content. And I just also enjoy absorbing Mm. content and interacting, too. And those are the dangers that I see is when you can't tell anymore. Yeah. And I also think you bring you make me think about how social media by and large is still such a visual medium for those who have the ability of sight. And, you know, there is a lot of visual expertise, right? Like you said, like if you think somebody is aspirational for you or beautiful the way that you define beauty or the way culture is validating it, you automatically give them credit for the advice coming out. And again, for those younger, maybe less discerning minds who are absorbing content at such a rapid rate, the lines do get very blurred. What do you think the impact is for girls' self-esteem if they are, you know, maybe not every post, but like, you know, more frequently just kind of diving into advice that's fairly unregulated or, you know, stories and content where they don't know the full, the full background of the person providing that? Well, it is scary when you see one thing that someone does and then you connect it back to, and this is because she looks like this. This is how she looks so good. And I was the most impressionable young kid. Mm. I would read magazines. And if, and if Miley Cyrus said, this is what I eat every day, I will start eating this every single day. And the intent wasn't even to say, this is how I get 
into this size or something like that. And those are the things that are dangerous about social media is these young girls, these young boys, these young kids admire influencers and creators because they feel like friends. And we think they have really cool jobs and we think they have so much fun. So whatever else they do, if we can pick up those habits and those skills or those things, we might be like them. Yeah. You actually like perfectly articulated a stat that we have from new Dove self-esteem research that 76% of girls follow influencers for inspiration on how to look. So I think about that as such a power platform that you have in that space. And I think content creators, well, they're people, we know that. And we're now we're already talking about the kind of human experience of learning and growing. But I want those people, I want everybody, including us, because I think we're all content makers, who put anything out in the world to recognize. I mean, 76% of girls looking at you to say, this is how I should look. There's an incredible responsibility there, don't you think? Oh, there is. And I think as a creator, learning to be conscientious of balance. If you Mm. show a lot of yourself looking super fresh and decked out and whatever, oh, I'm working out, oh, I'm doing this, all these things that feel like that aspirational, inspirational content, be conscientious of showing the other side, sprinkle in other parts of your life. And it doesn't have to be perfectly curated because it's also just snap here. And I do believe in the responsibility of creators to do that. And also, For the benefit of a creator, you will feel more human to them. So if you Mm. want to feel incentivized to show other sides of you that you might perceive as not perfect or not cool enough, no one is wanting perfection these days. And that wasn't what social media used to be like before. So it is hard to accept, wow, people just really want real now. And I'm not sure how to do that. You just have to let yourself. And that comes back to what is our relationships with ourselves as content creators? How are we feeling? Do we allow ourselves to be our authentic selves alone? Mm. Mm. And are we okay with it? Are we yeah. okay with looking at ourselves in a in a calm, grounded, vulnerable way? And that's the most important relationship we have is the one we have with ourselves. On one of our earlier episodes, I talked with a psychotherapist named Nadia Adesi, who has a huge TikTok following. I don't know if you watch her work on, on TikTok, but she's a psychotherapist that talks a lot about mental health issues. And she said something that I haven't stopped thinking about, which is the difference between some maybe old school media forms and new media is that the magazines had a final page. When you were done flipping the pages, the magazine ended. And isn't that such a cool? And now you think about social media, the scrolling could never end. Oh, right. I mean, so it is interesting because there's she's right for me in a sense where the parameters were drawn. Like when the magazine, when you flip through the magazine, it had a final page on social media. We're on it so often. We're there so much that it can really suck you in if you're not conscious about your behavior to it. And you'll see things you're not necessarily seeking or searching. It yes. really just keeps getting populated and pushed to you. That's how we hack the algorithm, right? Because what we watch, they keep serving us more of. But I want to talk about your content now because knowing you and what I know of you from the history that you have um, surviving with an eating disorder and the recovery and what you talk about, and what you share about, it seems to me like you made a very personal and professional commitment Mm. to reclaim your feed, to make it a space in which you just mentioned you had a balance of content. I notice a lot your message to your audience is, yes, you've got all this kind of fun sponsored content and um, you make sure that they don't compare and despair Mm. a bit in what they're seeing. Is that, Mm. was that a conscious move? And was there a moment that like flipped you to that consciousness? Yeah, because I, even though I am like a content creator, I feel very, I think what 
a lot of us still identify with is whatever age or the type of person you were for the most of your life. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I relate most to someone who is just watching and scrolling. Got it. So I oftentimes when I'm posting, I wonder how is this going to make someone feel seen or entertained mm. in a way where it's not they're doing better than me. They're cooler than me. And being someone who's not white, like the majority, is something I really value in terms of I know what I look like and I know how I felt looking like this growing up and just sharing a lot of, okay, I might be dressed up and cute, but man, I can't wait to take these pants off, guys, (laughs) because I have really severe bloating and IBS and I really haven't gone to the bathroom in five days. Like those are the things that I like and I deal with and talk to with every close person in my life that makes me feel comfortable. So I think sharing a lot of those moments has really helped me feel connected to them too. I really enjoy and so grateful that they even want to stick around and Mm. how I want to be with them is myself too. And I think that there's so many other cute, perfect feeds that they could be on that I don't think I'm going to be that for you. Right. But I actually think that's what we all crave deep down inside. It's my mission both in life and in work is to help people feel seen, heard, and understood because that's not how I felt as a kid either and searched for the places that I loved like media to find people that looked like me, stories that felt like mine. Um, And I think that's a big part of why I do what I do. But, you know, I think as we navigate this kind of you know, space in which the toothpaste is out of the tube. Social media is not going anywhere. The way our kids are online is only going to evolve. Our digital landscape is such a normalized space for people. So I do want to like give dimension to content creators and people who make a living making work online. There's pressure there too. And a lot of, you know, if we're talking about this, honestly, a lot of folks make money from brands who sponsor posts. And I'm curious if you've ever had a pressure to have those sponsored pieces of content feel more perfect or get feedback on what you look like. And because I imagine I've heard this from others that there's a deep pressure to need to create perfect content for the brand sponsors that are paying the bills. Oh, it is. The fact that even this is my job now and I'm a content creator is still very hard for me to understand and accept. I was making not really that much money living in Champaign, Illinois, at a university doing research. And I would look at these other creators and wonder, how are they sustaining a life Mm. like this? And then I learned, oh, there's brands and brand deals. And when I started to actually get them and work with brands, Dove was actually my first ever sponsored content ever. I was reached out to via email in 2018 um, by my friend Ashley. And I thought it was a fake email. I screenshotted it and sent it to my mom because my mom worked in business. So she's like, no, Kel, I think it's real. I said, no, I don't think so. So I requested a call and it was probably the coolest way to be introduced to this world. And I was honestly very fortunate because the Dove Self-Esteem Project that I was working on was not a product-based ad. So I was spoiled in that way. And now I do uh, brand deals with tons of different uh, companies and people that I absolutely love, but there is a lot of pressure in different ways. So the most self-conscious I feel when it comes to creating a brand deal is just how my audience is going to feel Mm. about me because realistically, no one wants to see a commercial when they're just scrolling. No one wants to be sold anything. No one wants to be told what to do. So my strategy that I've learned over time is involving them in that process, telling them, Mm. hey, I'm working on this brand deal. Hey, I'm filming this brand deal. Hey, I'm posting this today. This is how you support creators. You can just like tap that link and it's free. I think that 
Mm. Being transparent and honest has Mm -hmm. really helped my relationship with them because they're the most important. So I feel a lot of pressure, obviously, to impress the brand because they send you these really elongated, amazing, helpful, detailed, creative briefs. (laughs) And you have to include all these details that the brand wants because they are paying you this X amount of dollars, which is paying my bills. But um, I feel like when I'm making the content, I am thinking about how that follower is going to feel when they see it. Are they going to want to stick around? Are they going to be annoyed? Mm. You know, and I and I and I don't want to be a people pleaser too hard in that way, too. Right. But that is just how I am. I really care about them. And integrity is huge to me. I want them to know that I would only pick a brand to work with that aligns with me and that I feel like would align with them. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. (laughs) No, but you know, I think, you know, that transparency or that consciousness that you're describing, I think really comes through in, in what you make. And I've also heard you though, I think online talk about, um, brands who have said to you that they don't think they have consumers who look like you. I don't even know what do you say to that because clearly that is not true. But you've had some tougher experiences mm-hmm. in which I think you've talked about um, feeling critiqued by the way that you look or having bias show up for you in those ways. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I have felt personally as someone who's not white that it was difficult to break into this world as a creator. And I've had some people tell me that if I was a, if I looked a certain way, I'd probably have more followers, and they meant it as a compliment. Wow. So therefore them saying not that many people can relate to a 411 Asian girl. So that's probably why you are not getting that many opportunities. I think they meant to say it in a way to comfort me, but it really hurt. Of course. Um, And then I've actually gotten some comments saying, hey, during Stop Asian Hate, did you get more brand deals? You probably got a lot more attention in 2021. And and those are things that will always stick with me. And I know no one means anything by it. Um, But when brands look at me and I feel like they're choosing me as a diversity hire or they don't want to work with me because they feel like no one will be able to relate to me. There's a lot of inner work that I have to do to just not listen to that. And really just, I talk to my mom. Yeah. I was going to ask you, who do you go to in those moments? Yeah. Cause I actually don't even have that many friends who are Asian. So it is a little bit difficult. I only have my family. Mm. Um, and luckily because she grew up in a time where there was absolutely no PC culture, she really had to battle so much of that. I can imagine socially in the workplace. Um, and that's hard. I did have moments where I was like, man, I kind of wish I wasn't Asian Mm. because I wonder how successful I could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds really honest. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine the vitriol that comes regularly online to people, but I also think it's become a super accelerated um, and agitated vitriolic space around Mm. race and gender and orientation and everything. I was going to ask you about that as you seek to maintain a positive feed and you're reclaiming it with content that you feel intentional about. But you can't be immune to the trolls and to the DMs that you get and to the crazy comments that come through. So do you have ways or practices that you do realistically to navigate when you've just launched something or you put something out there that you're really proud of? And then there's a snarky comment or a hateful comment or a hurtful remark. Like, where does that land for you and what do you do about it? I actually, (laughs) I have one this morning. No way. Um, So 
I posted this video saying, oh, what I spend in a day as a 28-year-old content creator living in LA. I really like that financial transparency Mm -hmm. when I've seen other people post it. So I said, I'll do it. And my mom has been in town visiting Mm -hmm. me for the first time since I moved here from Chicago. And I treated her to like, you know, like dim sum. And then we did like a little photo shoot for her. And then I took her out to sushi. And the total was I spent $550 in a day, which is a lot for me. But I was like, hey, This is what really happened. And all the comments are obviously positive. And then the one that I choose to fixate on is, uh, why don't you do something with all the money you make to better this world? Money bags. Mm. And I immediately... First of all, I love it. (laughs) And I don't love, but it's so incredible. You could literally repeat that verbatim right now. But that's so us. I think we all do that. There's a screenshot in my head. Oh, God. I can see it. I know. I do it too. But that's it's intense. Yeah, it is. And I... It really bothered me, and I know it doesn't need to, but I vocalized it to my partner. I said, hey, I I know this isn't a problem. I'm not feeding into it, but I need to talk about it. I said to him, this is a comment, and it just really, like, irked me because I grew up super poor, didn't have a bedroom door. We didn't have any heat, and it's I don't even like that I have to mention those things, and I would never say that to them. But it's just hard when a lot of us— Anyone really who has found success a lot of the time came from something where they had none. And I think that's a big driving force for us. So it's hard when we just want to share. And it wasn't even for me. It was for my mom. I wanted her to have a nice day. Um, It's just so interesting how someone we don't know at all can really emotionally trigger me to feel so insecure. Well, I think, gosh, this this could be a whole other episode in and of itself <laughs> because I also think those comments live rent-free in our head when we let them. And I'm curious also from like an appearance-related standpoint, if, if somebody listening right now is maybe not a well-known content creator but still gets a comment about their hair or their body or their skin online, what's one tip you might give them to navigate that mental wellness back or just to kind of navigate their comp? confidence when they're, you know, not expecting that, that arrow, that dart to be thrown their way. A practice that I use for myself has really helped is being aware of my own reaction Mm. rather than being so fixated on what they said. I find it fascinating that I got so insecure and upset by them. What does that mean about me? What am I feeling uncomfortable about? So Mm -hmm. if someone were to comment on my hair and I got really worked up about it, I would say, Hmm, Kelly, okay, let's compassionately calm down and yeah. and ask yourself, though, do I feel really insecure about my hair? And how can I repair my relationship with the way that I view my hair? Mm. Because is it really this comment in this person versus is what this an opportunity? Yes, is this an opportunity for me to heal something that I deserve and, and honestly really need? Because a comment is never really going to ignite a fire like that if yeah. it's not already a little bit lit. I agree. You know, it reminds me of an exercise that we do when I host a lot of these Dove self-esteem workshops. Um, we we have the students in the workshop draw a series of circles and they get kind of smaller towards the middle. And we ask students to put on the outside of those circles, like their esteem team, the people that are like mm. closest to them that matter the most. So usually it's like mom, parents, or, you know, family, really good friends. And then they can kind of populate as the circle gets bigger. They can kind of populate, you know, teachers, coaches, social media, media, celebrities, like their whole world. But what's so helpful is we talk about like when, so it almost looks like a bullseye. And at the center of it is like the core group. I, mm-hmm. I like the esteem team example because yeah. that's like your your rider dies, right? Those are the people you can ugly cry with who get you, who yeah. know you, right? And they don't have to be a lot of people, but they're your, they're your strong, they have your back. And what's really amazing as a practice visually for young people is when they 
when they think about a comment that they might hear, like, like let's say walking to school and somebody on the street calls you fat or somebody on the street calls you something else, I ask them to think about placing that comment in the ecosystem that they've just drawn. And so oftentimes they realize they don't have strangers in their ecosystem, that they didn't even show up, right? And so it's just a great reminder to say, they're not even in your esteemed team world. Like, but I understand it's easy to pay attention to them, but I think when you have a reference to see who's really there, it can help you recalibrate the importance of what you let in. Because I think that's a really good self-care technique. And that I love that you give them that visual because it is hard when you have something come in mm-hmm. and it's it's it can take over your entire day in your whole world. Yeah. And also with that whole like all those circles and things, it's interesting that we wouldn't just be a majority of the, our own selves could right. never make that much of that pie. That's right. It's like we're kind of like a little dot and we're like, but every what what else can we who can we get support from? And it is really hard to even decide that we want to be that for ourselves. Yeah. Like that took so much of my life to even recognize I might need to do that. Yeah. Well, we have to be members of our own esteem team for sure. And I will never, you know, vow that it's an easy process. But for somebody who has also been in recovery, who's been obviously doing this industry in this field for over 25 years, it is at the foundation of it, it is we're always learning, we're always growing. It's like it is a constant evolution and a revolution, which brings me to my last question for you, which is as you look at your work and the stories that you you want to tell in the world evolving. What do you think is the kind of future for you in the content that you make? What do you what do you see for yourself as you continue to reclaim I think your feed to be a community and a place of positivity? What are some of the stories that you want to tell next? I feel like so many of my stories in the past were based on how I'm surviving <laughs> and how I'm like just getting by because there's all these heavy things that I'm mm-hmm. just battling all the time. And that's how I really felt. I felt like everything was not going well mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to find a little light bulb. <laughs> my own personal life has shocked me in the way I'm still adjusting to I'm no longer drowning. Mm. I'm not even kind of I'm not treading water. I'm fully like floating and I'm okay. And I think that's the story that I'm really enjoying telling is how I got from this point to this point while acknowledging Mm. how messy that path was. I really do not love the, this is how it was then and now, oh my goodness. The transformation fallacy. Yeah, yeah, that gets um, so many likes because people love a very quick success story. And they love before and afters. Obsessed. Yeah. And I really love getting into the more vulnerable and deep and nuanced conversations about, hey, how did I stop being in unhealthy relationships? Mm. I started to do these things versus I just went from that to this. And those are the stories I'm really enjoying telling. I mean, I never thought I would have moved from my tiny little apartment in the cornfields of Champaign, (laughs) Illinois, working at a university, becoming a full-time content creator. That was never something I could have imagined in myself. And not having binge eating disorder my whole life was I remember going to therapy and saying, this is going to be my whole life yeah. forever. I'm never going to change. Yeah. So I think my my future is just bringing up the tough conversations in a way to give a light to like where people think it's just darkness for that yeah. whole tunnel. And to be transparent about the journey, not just the destination. Um, actually, I lied. Last question really is um, <laughs> just to kind of bring us full circle because we started with little Kelly and how she looked at beauty in the world and what defined beauty for her now. If you could go back and talk to her now, what is one thing you would tell her about beauty? I would say to little Kelly, you 
in your life are going to have so many moments where you think you have found the answer, like you found the solution to look the best and then you're going to do it and you're going to really become obsessed with it. And then you're going to realize, uh, no, that's not it. And you're going to find another one and do it again and do it again. And at the end of all your trials and errors, you're going to realize the only thing you really had to do from that one starting point was I'm, I'm good. Mm. I'm okay. And if I stick to accepting how I am right now, all this energy can be channeled into me and I can really excel in a lot of other things that have nothing to do with the way that I look, nothing to do with the way people view me, nothing to do Mm -hmm. with people liking me. I don't like me right now. And all I have to do is go this way, go inward, Mm. point to me. I never did that. Beautiful inside and out. I love talking to you. Thank you so much for being here. I love talking to you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Let's Change Beauty, a podcast powered by the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Dove believes no one should follow anybody into thinking they aren't beautiful. And in fact, our goal is to build the body confidence and self-esteem of a quarter billion girls by 2030. You can go to dove.com slash let's change beauty to check out Dove's new toxic influence film and learn how you can help a young person in your life better navigate social media. On our next episode, we're talking to Jessica Durchin, senior producer at Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, about the harmful beauty stereotypes that exist in the video game industry and what she's doing to change them. Thanks so much for being here. And don't forget to write a review wherever you're hearing my voice, it really helps us out.